1: hello and welcome to daily wisdom walking the path with the buddha today is our group learning program and we're in chapter 15 of this book developing a life practice the path that leads to enlightenment this chapter is titled true love love without attachment this is where you start understanding what true love is and how to practice it i'm going to help you to understand how the unenlightened mind is mostly misunderstanding what love is. And it's mistakenly understanding craving, desire, attachment as love. And because of this misunderstanding or this unknowing of true reality, the unenlightened being finds it very difficult and very challenging to have relationships, whether that's with your parents, your siblings, your life partner, your coworkers, you'll find that it's very challenging to exist in relationships harmoniously as long as you're not understanding what true love is. So I'm going to help you understand this through first talking about the Four Noble Truths just very briefly, number two and number three, to remind you what's truly causing the pain in the mind. And then we're gonna spend the majority of our time talking about true love, love without attachment. Because oftentimes people, mistakenly believe that love is causing pain people think that love is very painful but when you understand what true love is and you can understand also what craving desire attachment is masquerading as love you'll see that all the pain that you've been experiencing related to the various relationships that you've had has all been because of craving desire attachment not because of love itself when you understand what true love is so i'd like to welcome all of you and at the same time invite you to ask any and all questions that you like whether that's in facebook youtube or zoom you can put your questions into the comment section and i'll be able to see that and answer any questions that you have and if you're in zoom you have the added feature to be able to raise your hand and electronically ask your question through raising your hand and then opening up your mic and you'll be able to ask any questions or follow-up questions so welcome really pleased that you're here i'm going to switch over to some visual aids to help me with the class and help share this with you guys so the first thing that i would like to share with you guys is just a brief little reminder of the second noble truth and the third noble truth because we just recently talked about this in chapter 12 and if you've been learning with me regularly then you should start being able to understand the four noble truths really readily but this perhaps might be your first class that you've ever attended or the first video you've ever clicked on or the first podcast so therefore i'd like to just remind folks about these four noble truths Remember, the first noble truth is explaining that all unenlightened beings are experiencing discontentedness. These are the conditioned feelings of pleasant feelings, painful feelings, neither painful nor pleasant. So that's like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, exhilaration, euphoria. Or painful feelings or sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. Or the neither painful nor pleasant are things like shyness or displeasure, discomfort, things like this, where the mind just feels kind of icky. It's not painful, it's not pleasant, it's neither painful nor pleasant. And the second noble truth is explaining to you the cause of that problem is craving, desire, attachment. That the mental longing and strong eagerness, that's what those cravings, desires, attachments are, where the mind is chasing after the objects of its affection thinking that this external thing is going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. But as long as the mind is craving and yearning and longing, having these desires where it's chasing after the objects of its affection, wanting things to be permanent when it's living in this impermanent world, then the mind's going to keep experiencing discontentedness over and over again. So those pleasant feelings, those conditioned pleasant feelings, you might look outside and you're like, ah, it's sunny outside. This is so wonderful. It's sunny. Yay. I'm going to go hiking today. And now you go take a shower and you come outside of the shower and you see it's raining. Well, if you based your inner feelings of happiness on the fact that it's sunny, well, the sun is impermanent. And now when you come out and you see it's raining, you would be sad or angry or frustrated or irritated because now you can't go outside. So if you based your inner feelings on the fact that it's sunny and you can go hiking, those are conditions. And those conditions are impermanent, so therefore your happiness is also impermanent. So now when you see it's raining outside, you'll be frustrated or sad or angry or some other discontent feeling. This is the mind experiencing conditional feelings. And it's all because of craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing and strong eagerness wanting something to be permanent. And the sun is not permanent. And likewise, when we enter into relationships, when we first meet somebody for the first time, we might have been craving affection or craving a relationship. And now that we're craving this affection and craving this relationship, when we start getting text messages, when we get phone calls, when we get invites out to movies or to dinner or to go somewhere to the park or something like this, you might get these conditioned, pleasant feelings where you feel so happy that somebody's showing you affection and they're inviting you out to go to do certain things. And in a relationship, you might even have intimate contact where there's all these pleasant feelings around pleasing the senses, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, the body, and the mind experiences this contact with this other being. And now through the intimate contact, you get all these pleasant feelings. Well, then as the relationship goes on, there's more and more expectations that get layered into this relationship. And now you have certain expectations of them. They have certain expectations of you. And now the relationship becomes so discontent and there's so much frustration and irritation that you might decide to end the relationship and break up. And now you might become bored or lonely or you might be sad or angry or frustrated because the relationship ended. And this is the mind craving permanence. The unenlightened mind falsely believed that this relationship is permanent. And when you first got together and you got those pleasant feelings, the mind was clinging to those pleasant feelings, but it was conditional feelings. So now, since the happiness was based on the condition of having this boyfriend or girlfriend, when the relationship was over it was the condition that changed and the unenlightened mind didn't understand the universal truth of impermanence and it didn't understand craving desire attachment so now when the relationship ended there became these painful feelings of sadness anger frustration and others and you might have experienced boredom or loneliness or things like this and this is all happening because of craving desire attachment the mind craving for things to be permanent And the way that you eliminate these painful feelings and all these conditional experiences is that you train the mind. Understanding the third noble truth is that the way to eliminate discontentedness is to eliminate cravings, desires, attachments. And we use breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity as generalized trainings to do that. But then there's something that I taught in chapter 13, which is very A unique way of addressing the cravings, which is putting the mind in that situation and training it to be peaceful and content or putting some plan together to maybe distance yourself from a particular craving or desire so that the mind can let it go. Right? So this craving, desire, attachment is masquerading as love in the unenlightened state. The mind is misunderstanding this attachment to this person as that is the love. So when we experience the pain at the end of a relationship, we oftentimes think that that's because of the love. Or if somebody dies that's close to us and we grieve or we're sad, we think that it's because of love. Or if somebody gets married and they leave and they go away with a partner, if your brothers or sisters have done this and you've maybe been sad at their wedding, we think that that's because of the love, but it's not. That painful feeling that is experienced is the craving-desire attachment, the mind is craving for permanence. So we crave for grandma and grandpa to be permanent. And then when they die, there's grief or misery or sadness that comes in. Or when brother or sister get married, or your children get married and they go off into the world, you might've been sad because the mind was holding on and wanting them to be permanent. It even happens when parents send their kids away to college. Sometimes they can grieve and be sad, sending their children away to college because the mind is holding on craving permanence. But this is the craving, desire, attachment masquerading as love. We think that that's the love that's causing the grief and misery and sadness, but it's not. It's the craving, desire, attachment. And when we have a partner, for example, like a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, when we first meet this person, and we start getting those pleasant feelings. We get to a point where we say, I have fallen in love with you. I have fallen in love with you right? And now we go for a period of time in this relationship where the expectations grow and grow and grow, and this person isn't meeting our expectations anymore. And now we say, I have fallen out of love with you. I don't have the passion for this relationship anymore. These are things that we might say as we're ending a relationship. But we haven't really fallen in love and out of love. What we've actually done is fallen into craving, and we fell out of craving. That essentially what we think is love in the unenlightened state, we say, I love you. Therefore, I want you to be with me because you make me happy. But this isn't the love. This is the craving, desire, attachment. The mind's wanting those pleasant feelings and the mind perceives the way to accomplish those pleasant feelings is to have this person with you. And if they're in a relationship with you, then you'll have the happiness. And this is where the mind is mistakenly understanding craving, desire, attachment as love. So we say, I love you. Therefore, I want you to be with me because you make me happy. And this isn't actual love. This is oftentimes thought of as conditional love, but there's no such thing as conditional love, right? There's all these conditions that need to be met in order for you to say, I love you. Or you might think about this even as selfishness, that now the mind's wanting this person to be with you because you're getting something from it. You're wanting something, you're expecting something from this person. And early on in the relationship, our expectations are usually quite minimal, So in the beginning of a relationship, everything can be so wonderful. Everything is wonderful because there's no attachment yet. There's no expectations, there's no wanting that it's just showing up on dates together, It's talking with each other. It's maybe having some intimate contact at some point. So the expectations are very minimal. But then as we start experiencing those pleasant feelings more and more being around this person, our expectations start growing and growing. We want more. We want more. We want more from this person. And now we start putting on all these expectations. And it's like sabotaging the relationship. It's like crushing the relationship. And now you and or the other person get so discontent and uncomfortable in this relationship, we decide to end the relationship thinking that that's going to solve the problem. That if we push this person out of the way, that this will solve the problem. Or we become bitter and harsh and aggressive and hostile in our relationships and the person chooses to leave. Or we try to put more and more expectations on this person and the more and more we put expectations on this person, we think if we can just get them to do things our way that everything will be perfect. Because. Getting things done your way means you get pleasant feelings because your cravings, desires, attachments are being met. So the expectations get bigger and bigger from you and or the other person. And now you feel smothered. You feel crushed. You feel pressured in the relationship. Like this person is expecting too much of you or you're expecting too much of the other person. And now you decide to end the relationship because the expectations are too strong. And we say, I have fallen out of love with you but if you understand true love you can't fall in love and out of love with people if you understand what true love is so this craving desire attachment masquerading is love is going to keep causing problems in your life over and over and over again as long as you think that craving, and desire, and attachment, and wants, and expectations, and obligations, and putting this on somebody, and if they do what you want, you get pleasant feelings, and when they don't do what you want, you get painful feelings. As long as you keep thinking that's love, you're going to continue to struggle and have difficulties in your relationships, and you're going to find that you can't reside harmoniously in all your different relationships. So now it's time to start focusing on what true love is so that you can start understanding it into intellectually through learning and then you can reflect on it and then more and more you can build up your practice where you're learning how to practice true love even if you understand it intellectually today you're not going to be able to just snap your fingers and implement this and start practicing it right away you're going to need to learn it learn it some more learn it reflect on it practice it a little bit ask some questions, learn some more, practice it some with your relatives and the people close to you, learn some more, practice it. And that's where those personal guidance sessions are so important. And asking questions in class are so important so that you can get as much wisdom as you can so that you can go out into the world and start practicing something like true love. So now that we understand this craving-desire attachment is masquerading as love, in the unrelated state, we try to force people to do things our way and we push people out of the way. We become bitter and harsh when they're not doing things our way. This is just standing in the way of you having very fulfilling and satisfying relationships. There might be true love in there, but it's being tainted or polluted with this craving-desire attachment. So by learning what true love is... In getting rid of your cravings, desires, attachments through breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity, it's like getting rid of the craving, desire, attachment so it's no longer polluting this true love that I'm going to explain to you. And when you get rid of that craving, desire, attachment, now your true love can shine through and people can experience your love and they have no question, they have no doubt that you love them because they can feel your true love coming through. Because as long as you have craving, desire, attachment in your relationships, you're going to act somewhat selfishly, wanting things done your way. And your relatives and your life partner and your children and your friends and other people in your life are going to be questioning whether or not you truly love them or not because you're putting your expectations on them and wanting things to be done your way. So they can't really see your true love because it's being tainted and masked by this craving desire attachment that's masquerading as love. So the breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity and all the other things that I've taught you about how to eliminate craving desire attachment is helping you to reduce that and ultimately eliminate it. And now as you're reducing that and eliminating it, I need to teach you how to bring forth this true love and start practicing this so that your relationships can be much more fulfilling and rewarding and satisfying. So. What true love is, is true love is where you care for another person and you don't want anything from them. That there's nothing specific that you want from this other person. That you're only interested in seeing this person be well and be peaceful. So this craving, desire, attachment that's masquerading as love, we say, I love you, therefore I want you to be with me because you make me happy. Right, That's the selfishness. What the true love is, is I would like to see you be well and I would like to see you be peaceful. I love you as you are unconditionally. I have no conditions that stand in the way of my love for you. I have an interest in seeing you be well and peaceful and that's all you're interested in. Now, in order for them to be well, you need to understand that You need to allow people to make their own decisions and succeed in life in whatever way they choose that you can be there in the relationship to support them encourage them and help them along but your role in a relationship isn't to try to force your opinions and views on somebody else get them to agree to those and get them to do the things you want them to do as long as you're doing that where you're wanting other people to do things your way The other person's going to feel smothered you're going to feel like you're sabotaging the relationship because you're putting your expectations on this person so part of practicing this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well is to understand that in order for beings to be well they need to feel comfortable that they are able to make their own decisions that as long as you're trying to force your decisions on this life partner or mom or dad or brothers and sisters, as long as you're trying to force your opinions and views on them and get them to do things your way, they're not being able to make their own decisions. So what you would like to do is be able to function in such a way that where you see your relatives or people that are close to you struggling, you might offer them advice. You might offer them a suggestion and ask them, would you like my help here? Or would you like a suggestion?" Or something along those lines and if they say yes you know what do you have that could help me and then you share some wisdom with them and then if they say no i'm not interested in your advice then you understand that that's just where they are in life and they may need to struggle in order for them to cultivate some wisdom or they may need to struggle and feel enough painful feelings that now they'll be open to your advice but if you try to force your opinions and views on them they're going to dig their heels in the sand and they're not going to be interested. And now they're feeling like you're selfishly forcing your opinions and views on them, wanting them to do things your way. And the relationship becomes very discontent because of the cravings, desires, attachments in the relationship. And in some situations, they're going to say, yes, what's your opinions and views? And then you provide that to them. And then they go out and do something completely different. They don't do what you suggested. And you need to be comfortable with that too. That if you shared something with somebody and helped them, a practice of generosity is to share your time, effort, energy, and resources without any expectation of anything in return. That you don't even expect them to follow your advice. That if you're giving your time, effort, energy, and resources, it should be without any expectations at all. So if you spend 30 minutes or an hour or three hours helping somebody and they go out and they do something completely opposite of what you suggested, you just need to be comfortable with that and understand that they are their own being making their own decisions and you can't force or control people to do anything particular. They need to cultivate wisdom. The way that you cultivated wisdom is through certain challenges, certain struggles, certain difficulties and you've acquired a certain amount of wisdom. and. Now that you might have certain amount of wisdom that could help somebody else, it doesn't mean that they immediately understand that the wisdom that you have will help them, or they're not necessarily willing to receive your wisdom. So you need to love this person as they are without forcing them to change. That what true love is, is I love you the way you are, and I'm here to encourage you, support you, and help you to improve, as you're open to opinions and views and ideas. But remember that if your mind is not yet enlightened, there's a very good chance that your ego is still in there, that your conceit is still in there, thinking that you know how to do everything correctly and that you know everything about this world perhaps or you know a certain thing And your ego might be in there thinking that you can solve this person's problem. And now your ego or your arrogance might come in and try to dominate this situation. And now the person, again, feels smothered and there's this arrogance in there. So even though you feel like you know how to solve that person's problem, remember that that person's challenge is unique to them. And only they know all the variables you don't know all the variables so you can support encourage and help them and provide advice and opinions as their mind is open to it but understand you need to be hands off and allow them to work with that advice and decide what they're going to do with it whether they're actually going to implement it or not and the more that you learn how to practice love without attachment where you're not wanting anything from this person the more readily you will see that it actually creates such harmony and such peacefulness in your relationships and you'll get better and better at practicing this love without attachment. Now everything that I just shared so far is about practicing love without attachment with people like mom, dad, brothers, sisters, life partners, friends, co-workers, things like this. But understand that practicing true love, love without attachment with children is similar but there's a bit of a difference. If you have children in your life, you're going to need to guide them. You're going to need to, as the Buddha shared, restrain them from evil. So with your brothers and sisters, your parents, things like this, you're going to see if they're open to advice and share certain advice with them and ensure that they are open-minded before you start going in and actually sharing anything with them. But with a child, if you're a parent or you're a caregiver, you're in a role to help this being cultivate wisdom. So there's going to be certain times where you need to have your children come, sit down, let's talk, let's discuss the decisions that you're making and how these are unwise and you need to cultivate more wisdom in order to make better decisions. And this is a very different aspect of your role with that particular relationship versus your other roles. Where a child, you're going to need to talk to them multiple times. They're not gonna learn something just one time. You're gonna need to talk with them repeated sessions to help them learn any one particular thing before they start making wiser decisions. But as you're doing that with your children, you would like to focus on the decisions that they're making and cultivating wisdom rather than them being a bad person or they are wrong or denigrating them or anything like this, you would like to be sure you focus on the decisions that they're making in the cultivation of wisdom. And you can do that without punishment. Oftentimes we're taught to punish our children, but punishment isn't going to teach them anything. It's just punishing them. And they're sitting in their room or they're getting involved in the punishment and if they don't understand the guidance of why they're experiencing this thing and why this has come about then they haven't cultivated the wisdom to make wiser decisions so you might be in situations where you do need to get your children's attention where maybe you've talked with them three, four, five, six times. You've made sure that they've cultivated the wisdom. You've shared with them many times not to lie or not to hit their sister or their brother or to not steal or things like this. And you've talked with them and you've spent your time to patiently help them through to cultivate the wisdom. And now the fourth, fifth time, they're still doing the same thing and they're still making the same decision. And you might need to do something to get their attention. You might need to take TV or a video game or going outside, they might need to stay in for a couple of days or they might need to do certain things like this in order to be sure that it raises to their attention the importance of telling the truth or not hitting their brother and sister or not stealing or something like this. And if you're going to do those type of things, don't position it as a punishment to your children, but position it as you need to get their attention and that you've already spent two, three, four, five times teaching them and guiding them in the lessons, they're not internalizing it. So therefore you need to rise it to their attention. So before you share with them that you're gonna need to take the TV for three days or something like that, be sure you have a really good talk with them to understand why they're not gonna be watching TV for the next three days. And then when the tv comes back on and it's time for them to watch tv again be sure you sit down with them again and ask them why is it that you weren't able to watch tv what was it that you needed to learn so that you can make wiser decisions next time so oftentimes as parents we might just broadcast 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 and think that our children are internalizing something so you're going to need to teach and guide and this is part of your true love with your children But in order to ensure that they're internalizing what it is that you're teaching them, ask them questions to see if they understand what it is that you taught them. And then when they repeat it back to you, that's how you know they've internalized it because they have it in their mind and they're able to explain to you. Dad, mom, the reason why I lost TV is because... I was lying, and I've lied several times already, and you've taught me not to lie. And I understand that by lying, people aren't going to see me as trustworthy, they're not going to see me as dependable, and I'm going to have difficulties in my personal and professional relationships. These are the kind of things that you can teach them as why it's important not to lie. You need to teach the why behind it. And if you teach the why, then they'll be incentivized to not lie. Right. But even still with children, you're going to have to teach them not to lie many, 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 many times. It's not going to be just one time and they got it. They're going to need to be taught many times. You're going to need to be very patient. And in some situations, you're going to need to raise this to their attention by taking things like TV or video games or other privileges. But don't do it as a punishment. Do it as a way to raise it to their attention after you've already spent time guiding them and helping them learn the wisdom. So with true love, when you're loving people as they are, this is unconditional love. You don't fall in love with people and you don't fall out of love with people. You just love people because you're interested in seeing all beings be well. So before I ever met you or before you ever learned in any of my classes or before you ever made any contact with me, I love you. I love you as you are. I can love every being in the world, even a murderer. I can love a murderer. I don't agree with what they did. I don't agree with their actions. But when you understand what true love is, that it's having an interest in seeing this being be well and that you're interested in seeing them be peaceful, then you can love them. Sure, this murderer still needs to face the consequences. They're going to need to potentially go to jail or prison. They need certain rehab. They need certain rehabilitation methods to help them understand that, Killing other people is unwise, and it's only going to cause difficulties in their life. And they need certain wisdom to understand to no longer do those things. But the anger and the hatred directed towards that person, it isn't harming anybody other than yourself. Well, it is harming that person if you truly vented it to them. But it's harming your own mind more than anything. So you don't need to be angry and hostile and aggressive with people. You can love people as they are, and understand that all of these beings in the world, they're all struggling because if they're not enlightened, they're struggling. They're having difficulties. They're struggling with their craving, anger, and ignorance, or they're struggling with the ten fetters. And these beings are in different points in their life and in different points in their development of their life practice. And while you may no longer choose to kill or steal or have sexual misconduct or lie or take substances that cause heedlessness other people don't know that wisdom and they're struggling with that and they're still perhaps doing those things so other people in the world they're at a different point in their practice than you you've cultivated certain wisdom and because of the universal truth of impermanence not everybody understands these teachings some people understand them and practice them and some people don't but if your love is conditioned on, if this person does what I want them to do and what I expect them to do, then I will love them. And then if they stop doing what I want, then I won't love them. This isn't love. This is craving, desire, attachment. So what you would like to get to is that you understand what true love is, is just having an interest in seeing this being be well and be peaceful. And you don't want anything from this person other than to see them be successful in life however they choose to walk forward in life and you can have this parallel process where mom or dad or brothers and sisters friends you guys are walking in life together and where they're having certain struggles and challenges you can help them and you can offer advice and you can offer suggestions, but you're not interested in forcing that on them. You're interested in asking them if they're open to your suggestions and opinions and ideas. And if they are, you share that with them without any expectation that they'll actually follow it. And if they say no, that doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean they don't care about you. It just means that they aren't interested and they're going to need to continue to cultivate their own wisdom and they're not interested in what it is that you're potentially going to share with them. When you're practicing true love without attachment, your relationships won't have any irritability. There won't be any frustration. There won't be any hostility or bitterness. So any relationships that you have right now where you have some frustrations and irritations and annoyance and things like this, that's because of attachment. It's not because you're a bad person or they are a bad person. You shouldn't think that way. But just understand that there's craving, desire, attachment in your relationship. And you're gonna to need to work to eliminate your craving, desire, attachment. Because when you practice true love without a attachment, You can get to the point where there's never any difficulties in your relationships, that you're never arguing, you're never irritated, you're never frustrated with each other, you're never even annoyed with each other, that you understand that everybody's making their own decisions in life and you're not going to agree with all their decisions because that would be permanence. It's not possible for you to agree with everything your life partner does or everything your mom and dad does, you're not going to agree with it because they've had different experiences in life than you. So they're going to make different decisions. There's not just one right answer in the world. Oftentimes when there's ego in the mind, we look at a certain problem and we think that there's only one right answer. But in reality, there's multiple right answers. And remember, when anybody's meeting a certain challenge or struggle, you don't know all the variables involved. So because you've had different experiences in life than other people, they're gonna choose different things than you. They're gonna make different choices than you. And that's not the problem. The problem isn't that they're making different choices because that's just impermanence. That's the universal truth of impermanence. Of course, they're going to make different decisions than you. They can't make the same decisions as you. That's just the universal truth of impermanence. The problem isn't that they're making different decisions than you. The problem is that the mind is craving for them to make the same decisions as you. That's what's causing your difficulties and struggles, is the mind is having craving, desire, attachment. So when you can learn how to eliminate your cravings, desires, attachments, you can get to the point where your relationships are fulfilling and rewarding. There's never any difficulties or hostility or bitterness in the relationship because you're not craving anything from this person. You're not wanting anything from them. You're not trying to make them do things your way. And when they make decisions that are different than what you would make, you just understand that that's impermanence. And when you see that they're making a certain decision that you feel is leading to a potential unwholesome outcome, you can offer your suggestions and your advice, but that's contingent on whether they're open to understanding it, right? They may not be open to understanding it. And if they don't listen to you or they're not interested in your advice and they go forward and it turns out really badly for them, then that's a struggle that they've encountered and they're gonna cultivate wisdom there. And if you're struggling watching them struggle, that's because of your craving, desire, attachment. You need to understand that part of cultivating wisdom in the world is to go through a struggle. And oftentimes when you have attachment to your children or your parents or your siblings, when you see them struggling in life, you might struggle. And this is because of your craving, desire, attachment and you need to get comfortable with allowing the struggle to occur. And children as well, that sometimes they need to struggle through a certain challenge, and they're gonna cultivate wisdom through that. And ultimately, they might circle back at some point and ask for your advice and ask for your guidance, but they may not, and you need to be comfortable with that. So this is a bit about true love, and I would like to pause here and see if there's any questions that you guys might have and you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions you like. Because I would like to be sure you guys understand what true love is, and then we're gonna apply it to certain relationships, like loving yourself, loving your parents and your caregivers, and life partners. And we can even talk about children if you like as well. So any questions that you guys have that you would like to dig into this deeper, just to understand what true love is right now, then we'll start applying it to various roles and situations so that you can understand more about it and how you might decide to practice true love. So you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. I see Max asked a question here, but he also said that I answered his question. So I'll just read it, Max, because maybe other people might benefit from this. Is Max's question was, how do we avoid having expectations of others? I assume that's a craving, desire, attachment we want and force onto others. Yes, any kind of want or expectation is a craving, desire, attachment. It's a longing and yearning for this being to do something a particular way. So I'll give you some examples from my life is that at one time when I was living in America, I knew that my wife and I and our family was planning to move to Thailand and that I knew that she was not yet a a U.S. citizen and she was a permanent resident card holder. She was a green card holder. And I know this process takes a really long time to get U.S. citizenship. So I mentioned to her at one point like, hey, we're going to be leaving for Thailand in one year. This is the time that you should file for your U.S. citizenship and it would be best if you go ahead and file this now. And she was like, no, I'm not going to file it. I'm not going to do it now. And of course, at that time, I wasn't practicing the teachings. So I was really angry because she wouldn't do things my way. And I'm the one who fills out all the paperwork i'm the one who you know gets together all the financials and all that kind of stuff so i knew that it was going to be at some point closer to when we were moving to thailand and i would be too busy with my businesses and everything else so i got really angry and frustrated at her but she still chose to not do it and i told her that it was going to cause all kinds of complications if she didn't do it at that particular time frame But she still chose to not do it okay so then we get closer and closer to the time of moving to thailand and she decides okay i would like to file this now and it was like three months before or six months before we were going to move to thailand so now even though I would have preferred to do it earlier. I went ahead and put together the paperwork. I put together the filing, and I did it for her. And I told her that there was no way it was going to be done before we left for Thailand. So of course, we left for Thailand in March 2015. And as we leave to Thailand, and somewhere around June 2015, when we have all these things going on here in Thailand, we had like nine or 10 students here learning. And she gets the notification that she needs to come to Washington, D.C. in order to do her interview. So now she needs to spend this money to get this flight to go to America and do her interview. And she leaves me here with my son and nine students who were learning from us at the time. And it was very challenging for me, but nonetheless, okay she needs to go to america so she goes to america she does her interview and then she says she's going to stay in america until they approve her and then that way she can get her passport and come back to thailand and i said that's not the way it works it's going to take them a long time after the interview you're going to be spending all that money living at the hotel in america and you're going to be wasting a lot of funds Well, she didn't agree with me. She decided to stay there. She was like five weeks into her stay. She spent many, many thousands of dollars. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to come back to Thailand now. So she flies back to Thailand. And then within like a week of being here, she gets notification that she's been approved and she needs to go back for the... The little ceremony. So now she flies all the way back to America, spending all this money, and then she gets her passport and she comes back to Thailand. So if she would have done it when I mentioned it to her, we would have saved like six or eight thousand dollars. But at that time, we were in business and I had money, so it wasn't much of an issue, but still. It caused all kinds of difficulties and complications if she would have just listened, but she needed to struggle through that, and she saw all the struggles. So now she's at a point that when I talk about the U.S. government and her interactions with the U.S. government, she understands that what David's saying is the truth where back then she had had very little dealings with the U.S. government and my understanding of the U.S. government. So she didn't agree with what I was saying and I needed to be hands off or else I was gonna be angry and frustrated in that situation. So when I had an expectation of her to file that form when I wanted her to file it, I was angry when she didn't do it my way. But when I let go of the expectation and the craving, desire, attachment, when she was traveling back and forth to the U.S. and she wasn't taking my advice about coming back at a certain time, I was just smiling. I was just content because I knew she was going through all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of challenges. And I was fine. I was here in Thailand. I just had my son spend time with our sister here in thailand and she took care of him for the majority of that time frame and i took care of the students and i just handled it so you're going to meet these situations where your life partner or your parents aren't going to be interested in doing what you suggested them to do another story for you that as i was having a relationship with my mom i would try to help her at different times and when i would give her advice she would oftentimes do exactly the opposite and she knew that she was doing things just the opposite and there was a time where she ultimately came to me and said david i'm having this situation what do you recommend and i shared with her what i recommended and she said I know what you're recommending sounds like it's absolutely going to be better, but I'm still going to do it my way. And it may not turn out well, but I'm still going to do it my way. I'm not going to follow your way. And I said, okay, up to you. So she went away and she did it her way. And then she came back like six months later and she said, David, uh, you're hundred percent right. I did it my way. It turned out miserably and horribly. I should have did it your way. I was like, okay, I understand. So you can still love somebody, even though they don't do what it is that you're suggesting and what your advice is. That you shouldn't have your love be contingent on them following what it is that you want. So when you get rid of expectations and you just practice pure generosity, you can share guidance, you can share wisdom, you can share your opinions and your thoughts, unattached to whether or not they actually follow it or not. And then you can maintain your love for this person and just love them as they are and understand that they are a being struggling in the world. And sometimes in those struggles, it helps them to cultivate wisdom and they need to feel comfortable to make their own decisions that if you force them and try to control them to do things your way, it's going to be miserable, right? So say that I went to my wife and I said, Hey, I'm taking our son out to the movies. Would you like to come to the movies? And she says, no, I'm not interested in coming. And if I was like, oh, come on, you got to go. You know, why don't you come? You're a party pooper. Why don't you ever come? This is the mind being attached and trying to force mom to come with us to the movies. And now let's just say she does come to the movie. Well, she's not going to be peaceful and content coming to the movies because she really didn't want to come and we're kind of forcing her and pressuring her to come to the movies so now she's not having a good time and we're not having a good time whereas if i asked her would you like to come to the movies i'm going to take our son to the movies and she says no i'm going to stay home and relax okay great we'll see you later so now we get to go do what we would like to do which is go to the movies and she gets to do what she would like to do which is stay home and relax everybody's peaceful everybody's content And now when we come back together, everybody's peaceful, everybody's content. But if we try to force each other to change our decisions, even if you're successful in getting them to change their decision, it's not going to turn out well for you. So you would like to get to a point where if you ask somebody a question and they make a certain decision, you just accept their decision on face value for what it is, and then you go forward unattached to what their decision is. So these are a couple of examples from my life to help you understand expectations and cravings and so forth. And Max is saying thank you for, for sharing that uh, example. Let's see if we have any questions in YouTube or Facebook. I don't see any in YouTube. So let's see about Facebook. And I don't see any in Facebook. So all right. So let's move on to talking about applying this true love to ourself. Because craving, desire, attachment, this expectations and wants that's masquerading as love, it's also masquerading as love for ourselves too. Because what we tend to do is we tend to have this turbulent relationship, not only with others, but with ourselves too. We have this internal dialogue where we put expectations on ourself to be a certain way or to do a certain thing. And when we meet those expectations, we might get happy or excited. But when we don't meet those expectations, we have this very negative and pessimistic conversation with ourselves where we degrade and diminish ourselves. And then we find it very much a struggle and a challenge to go forward in life because we're constantly degrading ourselves because we didn't meet our expectations. Well, maybe our goals and objectives were too far-fetched and maybe some other things happened along the way some impermanence happened along the way that we weren't able to accomplish this goal or this objective but if it's an expectation if it's a craving if it's a want when you aren't meeting those things you're going to be experiencing painful feelings because you might have an expectation that i want to have a thousand dollars in my bank account and when you only have five hundred, you're going to be discontent. So you're going to work and 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 work. And then you get to a thousand dollars, and you might be happy for a period of time. But then your expectations grow, and now you want three thousand dollars. And you work and 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 work. And now you're happy for a period of time that you got three thousand dollars. But now your expectations grow, and it's not just with your bank account; it's with your salary at work. It's with your job title. It's with certain degrees or certificates, certain educational requirements. It might be about the type of car that you drive or the size of house that you have, when there's craving, desire, attachment in there, the mind just wants more and wants more and wants more and wants more. It can't ever be content with what is. It's just chasing and chasing and chasing. So what you would like to do is throttle this back and restrain the mind and learn how to work towards things as a goal, objective, or interest that maybe you would like to have more income in your life and it would help benefit your family if you had more income. And you can just gradually work towards that as a goal or objective. Or maybe you would like to save a certain amount of money in the bank and that gives you a certain cushion and a certain security and a certain peacefulness that will help you and your family to live a better life having that little cushion in your bank account. And maybe now you gradually work towards that. But when you base your inner feelings on the amount of money that you have in your bank or the amount of income that you're making at any particular time, now your mind's gonna go up and down because your income in your bank account is gonna go up and down too. So if you attach your feelings to your bank account or your income or the type of car you have or the size of house you have, your feelings are gonna go up and down because of this. So in order to love yourself, You need to make sure that you're not putting these expectations on yourself to be a certain way and just love yourself as you are, but understand you're a work in progress and you're gradually working towards certain goals and objectives and you're just not there yet. That part of the fun of life is working towards something, is working towards a certain goal. And that's part of the fun and part of the enjoyment. In order to love yourself, you might decide to take yourself on dates Oftentimes, we spend time with other people often, and we don't just spend time alone. When I was in America, you know, as a child growing up, if you went to the mall by yourself as a teenager, people thought you were a loser. Or if I was at college and I would go eat in the dining hall by myself, people would think that you're a loser. But no, that's not true. It just means that you're spending time alone. When I go to the mall here in Thailand, about 50% of the people, I would say, are probably alone in certain situations. And you need that alone time. You need to go to the park alone. You need to go to the mall alone. You need to go out on dates alone, where you go to the movies by yourself, or you take yourself out to dinner alone. If you aren't in love with yourself and you don't enjoy spending time with yourself, how could anybody else ever enjoy spending time with you? So you would like to get to the point where you enjoy spending time alone, but you also enjoy spending time with other people as well. And you do this by putting your mind in the situation where you do spend time alone and that you find that enjoyable. And then you also can spend time with other people and you find that enjoyable too. But oftentimes there's so many thoughts going through your mind that spending time alone, you're bombarded with these thoughts and you're not comfortable with them. So by doing meditation and all the other aspects of the Eightfold Path, you're able to now skillfully work with the thoughts that are in your mind and you get more and more comfortable at spending time alone and going to the park or the movies or out to dinner or go to the mall or things like this and doing that alone and finding that to be a very important time where you can now do inward reflection and you can look at your mind and you can look at your life and you can look at the things that you've got going on in life and start processing some of the situations around you. Whereas if you're always with your kids, You're always with your life partner. You're always with friends. You're always with family. You're always with your coworkers. You can't always be with them because of the universal truth of impermanence. But oftentimes we fill up our life with appointment after appointment because we don't want to spend time alone by ourselves. So be sure that you open up to spending time alone and you develop this relationship where you're comfortable to be alone and you love yourself as you are and just understand that you're a work in progress because as long as you aren't understanding how to have true love towards yourself, it's going to be really challenging for you to have true love towards others. When you start understanding what true love is and you can start practicing it with yourself, You can start identifying what true love is so that when other people come into your life you can start seeing whether they're practicing true love or not because one of the reasons why we don't experience love in our life is because we don't know what true love is We're not practicing true love with ourselves, So then when people come into our life, we don't know what true love is. And we're looking at craving, desire, attachment as being love. And we get in a lot of difficulties in our relationships that we think if this person is forcing us to be with them, that's because they love us so much. When in reality, this is their craving, desire, attachment. So the more in touch you get with true love and practicing that with yourself, and now you can practice it with other people. And when you're practicing true love with other people, you'll be able to start identifying true love when it's coming back to you. And when people are practicing true love with you, you'll be able to identify it more readily. But as long as you're thinking craving, desire, attachment is love, and people are practicing craving, desire, attachment with you, and you're thinking that that is love, you'll continue to confuse their craving, desire, attachment as love. And you will make unwise decisions about things like friends and life partners and other things around you so the more you get in touch with what true love is and you practice it with yourself you can then practice it with other people and then when true love is coming back to you because people will get used to you practicing true love more and more you'll be able to identify true love coming back to you and you'll also be able to identify those cravings desires attachments that people are trying to put on you and that people are having their cravings and you won't want anything to do with that you'll identify that as being their craving, desire, attachment, and you might still maintain a relationship with this person, but you'll know that fulfilling their craving, desire, attachment isn't going to solve a problem. So I learned this very early in life that as I was growing up in my teens and in my early 20s, my family would have certain expectations of me. And I would work and work and work, and work, and work, and work, and try to get to those expectations. And then they would change their expectations. And then I would work, and 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 get to their expectations, and then they would change their expectations again. And I would realize that, Oh my goodness, this is like a never ending chase that every time I meet their expectations, they just keep changing their expectations. There was a certain point in my life where I was spending time alone and I wasn't interested in having a girlfriend And my family was like, you're always spending time alone. You know, you always spend time alone in with your male friends. Why don't you get a girlfriend? You need to get a girlfriend, like get out there in the world and get a girlfriend. So after I thought about it for a little while, I was like, all right, well, let me go get a girlfriend. So I went and got a girlfriend and I started spending time with this girlfriend. And then they said, Why are you always spending time with your girlfriend? You never spend time with your friends anymore. You should spend time with your friends and spend time alone now. You spend too much time with your girlfriend. right? So every time I met their expectations, they kept changing those expectations. So if you allow the expectations of other people to now come into your mind and become your own craving, desire, attachment, you're just going to keep chasing people's expectations and you're never going to be fulfilled yourself because you're constantly putting expectations on yourself and you're constantly trying to fulfill other people's expectations of you. And as long as you keep surrounding yourself with people that are constantly putting their expectations on you and wanting certain things of you you're gonna find it very difficult to experience peace and joy in the world because people are constantly pulling and tugging at you in different directions and wanting certain things from you. So you're gonna to need to start learning what true love is so you practice it with yourself You then practice it with other people, and they start to learn more and more that their expectations aren't going to affect you. And now, more and more, they will be capable of practicing true love with you. And this is a process. It's gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress. If you have children and you practice true love with them, then as they age, they will know how to practice true love with you. But if you have craving, desire, attachment, and that's what you're practicing with your children, as they age, that's what they're going to be practicing with you and you're going to find it very challenging as life goes on so loving yourself is very important and making sure that you don't put expectations on yourself but instead you just pursue things as a goal objective or interest and if you don't meet your goal in a particular point in time just adjust your time frame and realize that you need more time to accomplish this because there's impermanence and it's not possible because of impermanence to accomplish every single goal in a specific time frame. You're gonna to need to get comfortable with setting goals, working towards that goal, realizing you haven't accomplished it in a certain time frame, and now you just adjust your time frame. You haven't failed, you are gaining wisdom along the way, and you're still working towards that goal. So have this loving relationship with yourself where you're not putting demands and control on yourself, and then you'll have a tendency to not do that with other people as well understand that relationship with parents and caregivers oftentimes can be very challenging because we have certain expectations of mom or dad or our caregivers our grandparents our aunts our uncles and as long as you have those expectations of your parents you will find that it will be challenging to be in your relationships together, that you will be discontent, you will be frustrated, you'll be irritated, you'll be annoyed because you're expecting them to be a certain way. And when they're not that way, you will struggle in that situation. So you would like to get to the point where you love your parents as they are. Doesn't mean that they don't have improvement to do, but you're not responsible for their improvement. You're not required to force them to improve. You're not responsible for their decisions. They're making their own decisions, and you're there to support them, encourage them, and help them along as they're open to your advice. But if they're not open to your advice and willing to seek your advice and your suggestions, then that's them that's their decisions they're making decisions that they feel are best in their life and if you keep having expectations of them and putting your expectations on them they're just going to feel pressured and you guys are going to have a very difficult time in your relationships so you can get to a point where you don't agree with all the decisions that your parents are making or your caregivers or your brothers and sisters and aunts but you understand that that's their decisions and you can love them regardless of what their decisions are. That you're not gonna agree with every decision they make. You should just accept that from the very beginning. That there is absolutely no way that you will ever agree with every decision your parents make or every decision your life partner makes or your children or anybody else. You will never agree with every single decision they make because you guys have had different experiences. But if you can at least get to the point where you appreciate your parents for having given you this life, because now you're in this human existence, and this is the most ideal existence for you to be in, that now you have the opportunity to learn and practice and get to enlightenment and escape this whole cycle of rebirth. So no matter what happened in our childhood growing up, we can at least get to the point where we appreciate the effort that our parents went through to allow us to sustain our life, or whatever caregivers that we have, that growing up, I had a lot of expectations for my parents, and they didn't meet what it is that I wanted them to be. So therefore, I had a lot of resentment and a lot of hostility and bitterness growing up for my mother, my father, my stepfather, and people like this. And as I grew up, I really struggled because they weren't meeting my expectations and they weren't doing what I wanted them to do. And this affected me even into my early adulthood because I still had these expectations and wanting them to be a certain way. But when you get to a point where you understand and you can appreciate that, hey, at least my mom carried me for nine months, and that's a huge thing. Being with my wife and seeing her carry my son for nine months and the difficulties and struggles of that. In the labor and delivery, I got to a point where I really appreciated and valued what my mom did for me just to bring me into this world. And then seeing what it takes to feed a child, to clothe a child, to take them to school, and all the other things that we do for our children, I started to appreciate all those things that my mom did for me growing up. That maybe she didn't do them the way that I expected or the way that I wanted, but she did them to the best of her ability based on the wisdom that she had at that time in her life life. And whatever decision she made, even though I disagreed with them, they at least led to the sustaining of my life that now as a 48, 49-year-old adult, I can now make my own decisions. But I came to this you know, much earlier in my life. So no matter what happened in your childhood or as you've grown up or now as your parents are making decisions, you're not going to agree with their decisions. And if you are wanting them to make decisions in a certain way, then you're going to be struggling. You're going to be frustrated and irritated, and you might have resentment because of certain decisions they're making, and they're not making them in the way you want them to make them. So the problem isn't that your parents make different decisions than what you want. The problem is that your mind wants them to make decisions in a certain way. Your mind isn't yet practicing true love, love without attachment. You may have true love in there, but your craving desire attachment is tainting it. It's polluting it. You're wanting your parents to be a certain way. So you need to get that out of the way and just love them as they are. And at the same time, if they're open to your suggestions and advice, you share that with them and realize that they're making their own decisions and they need to be able to make their own decisions. Otherwise, they're not going to be comfortable. If you forced your opinions on them and you forced their hand to do things your way, they're not going to appreciate that, right? So it's important that we allow people to make their own decisions. Another example from my life, my grandmother is almost 100 years old and she was driving her car up until about three or four years ago. And she was a very independent woman and she even drove her 70-year-old friends to the hospital or to the doctors because her 70-year-old friends couldn't drive, but she was still driving. And we all felt that she shouldn't be driving but that was her decision and she drove and eventually she got into a a minor car accident and the government took away her driver's license right and she really struggled with that also the choices that she's making about her living environment we feel that she should be in a different living environment but she wants to be in that living environment she's living in a house that her and my grandfather purchased in like the 1940s or the 1950s and she's lived in that house with my grandfather their entire life and he died in 1995 so she's been living in that house for over 25 years since he's died and she lived there before that as well so she's lived there for the better part of about 70 or 80 years in this house and she has a certain interest to be there she may even have a craving desire attachment to be there if we forced her to move out of that house she would be very angry probably she would probably be very discontent one of the ways for somebody to eliminate a craving desire attachment is they need to fulfill it so if my grandmother has an attachment and a craving and she wants to die in that house and we forced her to move out of that house and she didn't die in that house because of her craving, she would be reborn and she would come back into the world because she never got to live in that house and die in that house. So oftentimes we think that we're helping somebody by forcing them to do something. But in reality, if she has a craving to be in that house and she didn't die in that house, then she would come back into the world and continue rebirth over and over and over again. So one of the most loving and kind and compassionate things you can do in a relationship is allow people to make their own decisions and you be comfortable with that. If you have craving for them to make decisions your way, you might really struggle. And some members of my family really struggled with allowing our grandmother to continue to drive or allowing her to live in that house by herself or with her son for this long of a time. She's almost a hundred years old living independently with just her son in the house. So you need to get to a point where even though you would like to make decisions differently, that you feel comfortable that if that's a decision she's making, then that's what she's doing. And she's set up her life where she's got caregivers coming in occasionally throughout the week to help her with different things. And That's what she's choosing to do. And we just need to be comfortable with that and let go and realize that that's the results of her decisions. Even if she falls and hurts herself and she dies, that's the results of her decisions. We've given her our advice. We've given her our suggestions. We lovingly suggested things to her. But she's chosen something different than what we've suggested. And we just need to be comfortable with that. And if she experiences any harms based on her decisions to stay in that house, then that's the decisions that she's chosen. So the Buddha provides us guidance about our caregivers and our parents. And there's multiple times where he's teaching about these In his teachings and there's one particular teaching that I would like to share with you that he teaches and I think that this is very helpful for us to learn as you're understanding true love so I'll read it to you and then I'll explain it to you the title of this is called repaying one's mother and father it says monks there are two persons that cannot easily be repaid what two? one's mother and father even if one should carry about one's mother on one shoulder, and one's father on the other, and while doing so, should have a lifespan of a hundred years, live for a hundred years, and if one should attend to them by anointing them with balms, by massaging, bathing, and rubbing their limbs, and they even void their urine and excrement there, one still would not have done enough for one's parents, nor would one have repaid them. Even if one were to establish one's parents as a supreme lords and rulers over this great earth, abounding in the seven treasures, one still would not have done enough for one's parents, nor would one have repaid them. For what reason? Parents are of great help to their children. They bring them up, feed them, and show them the world. So I'm gonna pause here to explain to you what's going on and then I'll continue. What he's saying is if you carried your mother and your father on each one of your shoulders and you lived for a hundred years and you massage them, you bathe them, you rub their limbs, you cleaned up their urine and their excrement, that you still haven't done enough for your parents. That if you gave them all these material possessions, if you established them as the rulers of the world and you've given them all these great treasures, you still haven't done enough. So no matter what material objects you give to your parents, you still haven't done enough to repay them. Repay them for what? Because they bring you up, they feed you, and they show you the world. They're the ones who helped you to get this ideal existence of being a human being where you can now attain enlightenment and escape this whole cycle of rebirth, experiencing the rest of this life in peacefulness. Because in another birth, whether you were in the hell realm, the animal realm, the afflicted spirits realm, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment. And even in the heavenly realm, it's not the ideal realm to be in to get to enlightenment. So this human existence is the ideal existence. So the Buddha says, even if you do all these amazing things for your parents, you still haven't done enough. So now he goes on. He says, but monks, if when one's parents lack confidence, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in confidence. If when one's parents are unwholesome, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in virtuous behavior or moral conduct. If when one's parents are selfish, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in generosity. If when one's parents are unwise, one encourages, settles, and establishes them in wisdom, in such a way, One has done enough for one's parents, repaid them, and done more than enough for them. So let me explain to you what he's sharing here. That as you're learning and understanding these teachings and you start seeing more and more clearly that they are the truth, And they indeed lead to this enlightened mental state where your mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You start to understand the very best thing that anybody could ever achieve in life is to get to enlightenment because life is so fulfilling and so satisfying when you get to the enlightened mental state that as you make your way to enlightenment, these people who helped you to get to this ideal existence, ultimately what the Buddha is saying is there's this debt of gratitude that we have for our parents because they were the ones who helped us to get to this point. And now that you have cultivated certain qualities on the path, it would be wise for you to then share that with your parents and caregivers where you can in order to help them accomplish the same thing, which is get either close to enlightenment or enlightened. So when he's talking about when someone lacks confidence to encourage, settle, and establish them in confidence, this is confidence in the Buddha, the teachings in the community. That if your parents aren't aware of the teachings, he shares here and he shares in other teachings as well, that when you have people that are close to you that will heave your advice, that you should try to help them to understand things like the Four Noble Truths and other teachings like this. And you might try to do that two or three times and they might decide that they're interested in that and they might decide to move forward in other cases they might show that they're not interested and they could care less but if you tried for two or three times then the Buddha is saying you've done enough. You've tried to encourage them. You've tried to establish them and settle them in these teachings. But if you continued six, eight, 10, 20 times, this is just your craving, desire, attachment. So you might try for two or three times and then you just let go and realize that, okay, they're not interested. But the Buddha is saying you should at least try to establish them in this confidence in him and his teachings in the community. Then he's saying that when your parents are unwholesome, that you try to establish them in virtuous behavior. So if you saw your parents were maybe gambling or taking substances that cause heedlessness or having sexual misconduct or things like this, you should try to help them to have more virtuous behavior. But of course, it's their decisions, but you can try to establish them in those things, but you can't force them. They need to decide for themselves, so you can just try to help them. Or when you see that they're selfish, the Buddha says to help establish them in generosity. Because the more you understand generosity, and this is what leads to the elimination of craving, desire, attachment. And eliminating craving, desire, attachment eliminates the discontentedness, so that now the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy, that when you see your parents being selfish, you know that they're not going to be able to get to enlightenment as long as they're selfish. So the Buddha is saying to help encourage them to be generous and give and share with other people. And if you can try to establish them in that, then that would be a way to repay them for this debt of gratitude of bringing you into the world. And then ultimately, the Buddha talks about establishing them in wisdom that if you see that they're unwise try to establish them in wisdom and try to help them. Right? So, I can give you a couple examples from my life that as I was growing up, I saw certain things that my mom was having trouble with, and I know that she was doing certain unwholesome things or unwise things. And I tried to help her and encourage her, and I shared a few things with her here and there. And in some cases, she listened to me, and those things turned out well. In other cases, she didn't, or she wasn't interested in listening to me at all, and it turned out to be unwell for her. But ultimately, as our relationship evolved, she started to come around more and more and realize that David was just interested in helping her. And the same thing with my grandmother. You know, my grandmother's almost 100 years old. She grew up in a very different time than me. And my grandfather did too. And there were certain times where I would hear a few racist things coming from them, right? Because as you grow up, you're going to conform to what's going on around you. So she grew up in a time where people of color would go in the back door of a restaurant or they would use a different water fountain than her. So her mind was conforming to what she saw around her and was conditioned. So when I saw her say an occasional thing here or there or my grandfather would say an occasional thing here or there, I would try to help them. And they would listen to that. And by the time that they are where they are, like my grandmother now, it's been 20, 30 years, she has great grandchildren that are of mixed races, right? Like now she has my son who is Asian, And also with me and my sister has children who were with African-Americans and now my grandmother has slowly learned that she doesn't need to have any kind of feelings towards people of color and now she just loves all beings. And my grandfather was the same way that he fought in World War II. He fought against Japanese people so he looked at Asian people in a certain way. So when I started growing up and spending time around Asian people, he had a lot of problems with that. So he needed to let that go which he ultimately did by the time that he died. So we can try to encourage, settle, and establish our relatives with this confidence, with virtuous behavior, with generosity, and with wisdom. And where they're open to it, which my grandmother, my mom, and my grandfather were to a certain degree, I was able to help them. In a situation with my sister, she's not always open to my thoughts and my ideas and things that I have to share, but I've attempted to help her on occasion, and where she learns and she listens, then okay, she learns and she listens, and where she doesn't, she doesn't, and she might continue to struggle with certain things in her life. So you need to be comfortable with allowing that struggle to happen. And the Buddha is saying that with our parents and our caregivers, that we essentially can repay this debt of gratitude by helping them learn a little bit about this path to enlightenment. And that's the way to repay them. So no matter what material possessions you might share with your family, which that's wise to practice generosity with your family, the Buddha is saying, no matter what you give them, you haven't really repaid this debt of gratitude until you've at least tried to help them learn a bit about these teachings. And then lastly, I'll talk about life partners before I open up to any questions that you guys have that some of you guys may be looking to have a life partner and you're interested in acquiring a life partner, or maybe you might break up with your life partner at some point and you might need to look for another life partner. The person who you choose to be your life partner is very impactful to your life. That if you had a company and you were going to hire a CEO for your company, who you hire as a CEO for your company is going to be very impactful to the future success of this company. And you would like to really take your time and make a wise decision about who's going to run your company as a CEO. Well, When you're choosing a life partner, it's the same thing, that when you're choosing a life partner, it's a very important role in your life, and you would like to be sure that you make a wise decision about this, that if you made unwise decision, it's going to affect you, and that's your decision to choose to have this life partner. So what I encourage people to do is to look at the five precepts that you know of as the five precepts and look for someone who, of course, isn't killing animals and things like this, or humans, someone who's not stealing, who's not having sexual misconduct, who's not lying and not taking substances that cause heedlessness. Now, they might not know them as the five precepts, and they might not talk about them as the five precepts, but these things are taught in many different places in life because they're the natural laws of existence. You might think of them as the five precepts, and that might be how you process the world around you, but other people may not. So it doesn't mean you have to have someone who is on the Buddhist path, but it does help because if people are not understanding craving, desire, attachment, and they're not understanding these teachings, you guys will find that it's a real struggle, that if you're practicing true love without attachment and they're not they're going to be understanding the world around them in a very different way. So if your partner isn't practicing these teachings and they go away on a business trip and they call you or they come home and they say, hey, honey, did you miss me? And you're like, no, I didn't, (laughs) right? Because you don't have craving, desire, attachment to them. If they're viewing the craving, desire, attachment as you missing them, and that means you love them, then when you say, no, I didn't miss you, they might have a lot of trouble with that. So you would like to, where possible, find a partner who's interested in doing the work to develop on this path to enlightenment because you guys will have a very wonderful and loving, fulfilling relationship together. But in some situations, you might find a partner who's maybe not interested in this path, but they're doing work in other ways and other traditions, but you would still like to use the wisdom that you have of this path to make a wise decision about your partner and who to include in your life because that's gonna be very impactful. Where you're in a situation where you have an existing partner and you're starting to learn these teachings and they're not interested in doing that, as long as they're supportive of you and they're at least understanding that you're going to practice these teachings and they're not trying to control your decisions, you can still have a successful relationship together. But if they're not understanding true love and they're trying to force you and control you and try to get you to do things their way you guys are going to have a lot of challenges in your relationship. So you might need to sprinkle these teachings into your relationship a bit here and there and help them to understand some of these teachings so that they can at least get to a point where they're not trying to control your decisions and they can practice true love and you can practice true love. Because as long as you're understanding true love and they're not, you guys are going to be moving in opposite directions and it's going to be really challenging for you to have a successful relationship together. So make a wise decision about your life partner and about the types of things that you guys get involved in. And the more that you guys cultivate this wisdom as a couple, you guys can now support and encourage each other along the path where they understand what you're learning and you understand what they're learning perhaps, and you guys can support and encourage each other along the path. Where you don't have that, it's okay. You can still get to enlightenment, even though your partner's not learning and practicing these teachings, but you would like to at least get to a point where you guys have had enough conversations where they're not trying to control you about the things that you're choosing to do, that they might not be meditating, they might not be practicing the Eightfold Path, But they're completely fine that you are and that they're not attached to forcing you to do something that they're doing. And you're also not trying to force and control them to do something that you're choosing to do. And then you guys can at least get to a point of peacefulness and joy in the relationship because they're understanding that you're going to make your own independent decisions. So this is everything for now to share on this topic other than any questions that you guys might have so you guys can ask any questions that you like in facebook youtube or zoom and in zoom you can raise your hand electronically i see marcy has her hand up so i'll go ahead and call on you marcy what question do you have
2: good morning teacher david thank you very much so um a quick question in the field that i'm in i work with um the elderly that live in their own homes and there's a situation that has arose where um, I kind of have the uh, the approach that everybody has a free will of making their own decisions, no matter what age they are, and my job is to help support them in whatever decisions they make. Well, most recently, I had a client who had a spill, and now she has her family that's forcing her to use with a use a walker instead of her cane, but the client is interested in using the cane again. So the way I've been approaching it is that that I have been, um, if she says she wants to use a cane, I say, okay, if you want to use the cane to use, go to the bathroom, you know, just wait for me to be with you, to, you know, to be of assistance to make sure you're safe um, and, you know, go from there. Well, each time she has gone to do it, she's actually opted out of using the cane because she says, you know, I feel shaky or whatever, I'm going to use my walker. So we never really have had this situation where she's actually um, used the cane. But I'm getting like a lot of feedback from other caregivers that care for her and her her family saying that, no, you know, they're using all kinds of foul language with her and they're like, You're not using this effing walker of this effing cane, I'll take it from you, like they're being very controlling with her. My question to you is because this is how the family is being, and this is how I am being, am I Am I doing what's right by this by this client by just allowing her to make her own decisions even though the outside world is trying to force her to make other decisions?
1: Yeah, so you're allowing her to make her own decision, but you're asking her to be sure that you're there so that you can make sure she's safe. And ultimately, she's making the decision and saying, yes, I agree, I will do that. And then ultimately, she's using the walker. So what we would like to do in a more loving and caring way is have this person make the decision themselves, right? Like if I was that woman's or man's family, I would sit down with her, talk with her, help her understand that the cane isn't helpful and that it's much better if she uses the walker and how about we try the walker? Are you okay with that mom? Are you okay with that grandma? You know, how about we use the walker and kind of convincing her but ultimately allowing it to be her decision. But oftentimes when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, it doesn't get what it wants, so therefore it becomes unskillful with the anger and frustration, and that's where her family is being hostile and aggressive with her. And this is a result of her decisions. Perhaps when she was raising these children, maybe she was aggressive and hostile with them too. I don't know, You know, we would have to go back, but this is this person's gamma that her family is so aggressive and hostile with her. But what you're choosing to do in setting up some parameters to make sure she's safe, but she's still able to make decisions and she's making the decisions and you are making the decision to try to be helpful and supportive of her. Then this is why probably with you, she probably is okay with it. She probably feels comfortable around you because you're helping her to make her own decisions where probably when her family's around, she probably doesn't like it as much because they're being so bitter and harsh with her. Yeah. Well,
2: she did say she wishes I was there every night. So, and the second part to this question is now, now I still have to have um, a relationship or a working relationship with my other uh, co-partners that take care of this woman and also her family. And when they get into these powwows and these big uh, discussions, I find myself just not wanting to participate in it and kind of just like withdraw. Now, I don't know if that's my own craving and desire, attachment to not or avoidance to be not a part of that. Or should I be trying to uh, provide, um, you know, how I approach it with her? So I'm kind of caught in that type of like, do I say how I how I work with her and how she comes to her own decision to use the walker, or do I just let these people just just let them rant and just take myself out of it because I feel like they're so worked up in their own emotions that I feel like anything I say may just fall on deaf ears. But then. Am I just being avoidance? You know what I mean? I
1: don't know. -hmm. This is where it comes to your decisions, right? Like the Buddha and me as well, we're not going to tell you exactly what to do in any given situation because the variables are going to be different. In some situations, you might look at it and you're like, hey, I've got some time here. I feel pretty patient. I feel like I should sit down and maybe talk or stand here and talk for a few minutes and try to help this coworker to understand what I understand. But as you're starting to do that, if you see resentment or hostility starting to arise, you might back off of that decision and choose to go in another direction or other days you might need to get to your next client and things aren't moving as smoothly. You don't have as much time and you might choose to not do that. So you're not obligated to do anything in particular other than to die, right? That's the only thing that we're required to do in life is to die. So if you're going to choose to help the other coworkers to understand what you're doing, you would like to do that in a skillful way where when they come, you would probably like to have a little bit of conversation with them, kind of get acquainted with them, ask them like, hey, I've noticed that, you know, I don't know your client's name, but I'll just say Mary because that's my grandmother's name. You know, I noticed Mary is getting better with the walker, but she's not quite there yet. And I'm wondering, are you open to hearing what my experience has been like and what's been working with Mary? And if they're like, sure, you know, Mm -hmm. what what do you got? And then like, all right, you share it with them. But if they're like, no, I don't want to hear it, then you just be comfortable. Like, all right, (laughs) you know, and if they work with Mary and they struggle and they have difficulties, then that's the result of their decisions that they weren't open to your advice. They might have their own way of doing it that is maybe in their mind better than what it is that you have to share. So you can offer, you can suggest but you don't have to. You're not required to. In each situation, the variables are different, so you need to look at those variables and make the wise decisions that you think are best. If this coworker walks in and you see they're really disgruntled and really angry, you've never met them before, and you don't know how to really relate to them, it might not be the best situation for you to try to help them in that situation. Maybe there's there's something else that you need to help with. So you have to look at each one of these situations uniquely and with impermanence. And even if you helped one employee one day, you shouldn't assume that the next day you see them, that they're automatically open to your advice because of impermanence. They could now be shut down, even though the day before they were open to your advice. Now they may not be. So it's always wise to check in with people before you just start giving unfettered advice and you just start throwing things over the fence at them that you kind of see if their mind's prepared. Because at the same time, if you're just sharing with people without really seeing if their mind is open to it or not, you could be wasting your time. You could be sitting there talking for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and this person could care less. It's going in one ear and out the other, and you're not interested in wasting your time in that way. So when you ask somebody if they're open to your advice and they say yes, now you know you're talking to somebody who you can really have an impact with because they're truly open to what it is you have to share and you're not wasting your time.
2: Thank you, teacher David. And um, one other question, and this is not on the same topic, um, so I have been doing um, focused love and kindness meditation to let go of my hatred, anger, and ill will towards uh, my parents. And you had spoke about what Gautama Buddha teaches about, you know, trying to uh, offer wisdom and things of that nature. Um, is that if is that something that is um, if I'm able to develop a love and kindness for my parents and let go of all of the things that transpired as a child by not going to the next step and trying to share with them uh what I have learned is that um in essence a a, a way of uh kind of like uh road me from reaching enlightenment is that something that I'm going to need to do is to share with them um
1: Yeah, the answer is no. You're not required to share with them. So remember the teachings of the Buddha, they're not black and white. It's always about this middle way. There's this large gray area, right? So what the Buddha is sharing with you is to cultivate this appreciation and this gratitude for your parents that you don't have expectations of your parents and putting these expectations on them. That's key. That's how you're going to get to enlightenment is if you have any anger, hatred, or will, or even those lesser versions of frustration or annoyance or dislike towards your parents, you're going to be hindered from getting to enlightenment for that because your mind still has craving, desire, attachment. So therefore it's producing these anger or frustration or irritation or annoyance. So you would like to get rid of that. Whether you go to the next step of choosing to share teachings with them is going to be unique to your situation. There are some situations where our parents or caregivers have done things that were so horrible, perhaps, that there's never an opportunity where we're ever going to be in a relationship with them ever again, that we just are going to distance ourselves from them. And I'm thinking about like verbal abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, things like this. Those kind of things, you know, physical abuse, you know, we're just going to be really far away from our parents and never have a relationship with them ever again, perhaps. In that situation, we can still cultivate our mind where we don't have anger, hatred, ill will towards them. We're just making a wise decision to not be around our parents because there were such harmful things that happened in the past and their mind is still plagued by those same things that it wouldn't be wise to be in a relationship with them. And in that situation, if you didn't share these teachings with them, it's not going to hinder you from getting to enlightenment. So your enlightenment is not contingent on whether you share these teachings with your parents or not. The Buddha is just essentially saying that, hey, if you have these caregivers, these parents that have done all these things that were caring and loving for you, be sure that you repay that through helping them to learn a bit of these teachings. But there's going to be some situations where that's just not possible. And that's impermanence. And that's why the teachings of the Buddha, they're not black and white. He's not telling you that you absolutely have to do this or you absolutely have to do that. He's helping you to see the type of cultivation of mind that you should have, which is this appreciation and gratitude for what your parents did at least to help you sustain life. Even if they did some other things that were very unwise in our childhood, at least they did enough to allow us to sustain our life. And if we can just have appreciation and gratitude for that, it can help us to release any kind of anger, hatred, ill will, or those lesser versions that we might have.
2: Thank you very much, Teacher David, for your time. I appreciate it, thank you.
1: Yes, you're very welcome. I'm gonna look around here on the other platforms and see if we have any questions. Looks like we have some questions here on YouTube. This is uh, how to love self if Buddhism says no self, no problem. How do we understand that one time says a problem come from self, other time says no self, no problem? Is it means inner self? Thank you. Okay, so when we talk about the universal truth of non-self, what we're talking about is this body nor this mind is you, that this self-image and the self-identity is you. It's not who you are as a person. And your mind needs to understand that there is a body, that there is a mind, and they've come together for this existence, but this isn't who you are as a person. And we use this language to understand that we need to disassociate with this self image and this self identity as being who we are, that there is no you, there is no I, right? And we describe that to a certain level of detail using the English language. But The English language is really not well equipped to fully explain what it is that it is that we're talking about here. So when I talk about love one's self, it's basically saying this being who you are now, that this language of English, I could say you need to develop and cultivate love for this being who you are now. But if I talked like that regularly, people would be like, what is this guy smoking? You know, is, is he really practicing these teachings? You know, maybe he's not practicing that fifth precept as well as he should be, right? If I talked like that. So the English language is really unfitting to describe fully what it is that we're experiencing. Here in Thailand, when they talk about themselves, they actually use their name. So they would say, no, know, David is feeling hungry. Or David would like to go to the restaurant or David would like to go shopping this is how they tend to use their language here but we don't talk that way in the English language so we still need to use a bit of you know oneself or we'll say that right um, but in reality what we're describing is this being who we are now this being David I need to cultivate love for this being who I am now so you need to cultivate love for that being who you are now knowing that this body and this mind is not you, but we can still use the words cultivating love for oneself and intellectually know that there is no self here, that this body and this mind is not me, but we're just using this language because it's unfitting that there's really no other way to refer to nothing. Unless I said, like I said, like you need to have love for this being who you are now. That's the only way to take the word self out of it and still be able to describe true reality. So I use this word love oneself just to make it easier because you guys know what that means. But then when students ask questions like this, help you understand that the language is unfitting. So like when I introduce my son to somebody, I might say, this is my son. And I might use that language because it's the easiest way to refer to him. My mind knows that he's not mine. He doesn't belong to me. But when I introduce him to somebody, I need to say, this is my son. Otherwise, I would say, this is the being that I contributed sperm to create over 10 years ago. And that would be like, huh? What is this guy talking about? <laughs> Isn't that his son? You know. So we still use things like, this is my son, rather than saying, this is the being that I contributed sperm to create over 10 years ago, right? It just doesn't sound right. And we would be talking all kinds of weird ways. So we say things like, this is my son, even though I know he's not mine. He doesn't belong to me. So your mind can intellectually know that we need to cultivate love for oneself, realizing that there is no self here. And that should help you with that particular question. Let's see. The next question here on YouTube is, my mom is in very critical health condition near deathbed. What can I do for her? Well, the best thing you can do is make wise decisions about her medical care. There's no mystical, magical thing that you can do that her health is impermanent. She's going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. It's going to happen. This is impermanence. We were all born, so we're all going to die. There's just no way around that. So, if you would like to help her is help her to get medical care so that she gets comfort as best she can that maybe she gets some pain relief that you help her understand that you love her that where her mind's wanting something like say she has an urge for a piece of chocolate if she's near her deathbed just give her a piece of chocolate and because one of the ways to extinguish a craving is to fulfill it so about a year or two ago I reestablished contact with my grandmother. And as I was talking to her, I was asking her, like, hey, you know, what do you want? What do you need? What, do you, what is this? And I was asking her, you know, do you still want chocolate? Do you want a book? Do you want this? Because I knew all these things that her mind used to want in life. And I just provided it to her. And then I provided it to her. And then I called her up, you know, about six months or a year later. We had had other conversations, but in that six month or year conversation, I said, Do you want more chocolate? She's like, no, I've had enough. I said, do you want any more books? No, I don't need any more books. So she's extinguished her craving, where previous to that, she hadn't extinguished the craving. And she was like, yeah, I still want it. I still want it. I still want it. So what you would like to do is anything that your mom wants, just give it to her and allow her, of course, as long as it's wholesome, right? It's just give it to her. And then that way it'll help extinguish the craving and let her just talk about anything she would like to talk about. She would like to let go of as many things as possible because even if she is reborn, she'll have less craving to deal with in that next life. But there's a potential that she could get to enlightenment at death. So if you're able to help her just let go of things, and not hold on to things, this will help her to potentially get to enlightenment at death where she won't experience rebirth. Let's see if we have any questions anywhere else. I'm not seeing any questions anywhere else. So it looks like all of your questions have been answered. Oh, it looks like Marcy has a question. Go ahead, Marcy. Uh,
2: yeah, so my last question to you and, and um I actually really appreciated you explaining that about, you know, um, letting them extinguish those uh, wants. Uh, My daughter currently right now has a dog um, who's 14 years old and, you know, she's had put him on, you know, all kinds of antidepressants. He suffers from, I guess, severe anxiety, they are calling it. Um, But she came to me very tear, excuse me, excuse me, very tearful, stating that she feels like she's going to have to euthanize her dog within this year. And um, I just took kind of like a, a step back because I understand with all of what I've learned, this wisdom that I've gained, that by taking his life, that's not the best thing for him, you know. Um, but my question to you would be, what would you recommend would be the the most compassionate way to express to her? The cycle of rebirth and how basically taking this dog's life that she's going to kind of perpetuate him, you know, back into, you know, not into the human realm or that it could have negative consequences for him. And the fact that he's not able to extinguish all of his his um, negative karma, if, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. It's also going to affect her, too, because she's making the decision to kill. So true oftentimes this is a very challenging topic for people to understand and it's also challenging for people to teach so you may not be Mm -hmm. able to teach it to her so i've written about it and you can get it and just copy and paste and send it to her or however you'd like to do it it's in volume three it's around chapter uh the one about the five precepts I've put in there. Of course, the first book, chapter seven, it's in there as the first precept. So you can give her that as kind of an introductory. And then in volume three, I've written specifically about euthanasia and other things as well that are related to this particular topic that I've described it fully. So you could either read those Mm -hmm. and try to teach it to her, or you could read those and then give them to her so that she can understand them. And since they're soft copies, you can just take screenshots or copy and paste, just giving her exactly what she needs. Or if you have the hard copies, you can help her with those. But I would encourage you to use the words that I've used because Oftentimes when I explain this to somebody, even me explaining it to somebody, I can explain it just fine, but the person has a really hard time to understand it. And I know that I'm going through the intricacies of explaining it. So for you to have to explain it to her, it would be quite challenging for you. So I would look to the resources that I've created on that and try to learn as much as you can through that. And then you might just decide to provide her those same resources.
2: Okay. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate it, teacher David.
1: Yes, you're welcome. See, I'm gonna look one more time in Facebook and YouTube to see if we have any questions that might have come in. And I'm not seeing any. So I will just end class by thanking all of you guys for coming and for attending the class. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to share this topic with you. And I always like to say at the end of this class, And share with you that as your teacher i absolutely love you i have nothing but an interest in seeing you be well seeing you be peaceful i have nothing but love for you i have no expectations of you whatsoever and depending on your experiences in life the very first relationship that you might have related to someone practicing true love might be with your buddhist teacher you may not have ever been in a relationship depending on your life experience Where somebody didn't have expectations of you and didn't want certain things from you. I know growing up that I didn't have that, that as I was growing up, there was always some amount of craving, desire, attachment in all the relationships that I had. So you may not have ever been in a relationship before with somebody that has nothing but an interest in seeing you be well and doesn't want anything or expect anything from you. So as you learn and you experience this relationship where I don't want anything from you and you see how the relationship doesn't have any discontentedness in it, then what you can do is experience what that's like and now replicate that in other parts of your life. That you can learn what it's like to have a relationship with a Buddhist teacher where they don't want anything or expect anything from you. And now when you see how comfortable that feels, now you start having that same kind of relationship with other people in your life, whether it's your life partner, your children, your parents, or what have you. So you can use this relationship As an example of that, because I know on my side, I don't have any attachment to any of you guys. I don't know about you guys. I don't think any of you have attachment to me. But if you do, you know, let's talk about it and make sure you eliminate it. But as you feel what true love is like, then you'll start to identify it more and more and you'll be able to practice it more and more. So you shouldn't feel any kind of obligations from me or expectations from me or anything that I want from you whatsoever. I'm just here with generosity, sharing my time, effort, energy, and resources to help you and guide you along this path. And I love you regardless of what you do. You could, I don't think any of you would, but if you went out and murdered someone tomorrow, I would still love you. I would disagree with what you chose to do, but I would still love you, and I would still help you, and you could still ask me questions. It doesn't matter what you do in life. There's no way for me to stop loving you, because I didn't fall in love with you, so I can't fall out of love with you. I loved you before I ever met you, and I'll continue to love you as long as we're in a relationship and even afterwards. If you get to enlightenment someday and I never see you for the rest of my life, I still have nothing but love for you. And love is a genuine interest in seeing you be well, seeing you be peaceful. And that's why I put forth all the work and effort to do the things that I do, whether it's the books, the audio books, the classes, the personal guidance, all the work in the Facebook groups and the courses and retreats and all of these things because I'm only interested in seeing you be well. And I make it available to everybody at no cost because I'm interested in seeing you be well. I don't have any selfish desires where I want something from you. So I have nothing but an interest in seeing you be well and peaceful. And if you can feel that from your teacher, then maybe you can then use that as a role model, an example of a type of relationship and now replicate that in other parts of your life. And as I mentioned at the beginning of class, you learn these teachings intellectually. But now you're going to need to start reflecting on them. And if you haven't read the book yet, be sure to read chapter 15. And you might need to read it multiple times because the detail in there is even more detailed than what I've shared in the class. And then you're going to need to take whatever amount of wisdom you learn in the class and in the book and start applying it in life and start practicing it with your life partners, your children, your friends, your parents and people like this. And you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have challenges and you're going to need to come back to me and ask questions and have personal guidance and put posts in the Facebook group and things like this. And you're gonna to need to tell me the things that you're struggling with in practicing true love. And then I'm gonna help you learn more where you're having challenges. And then I give you some more wisdom. And then you reflect on that and then you practice that. And now you practice that and now you're practicing maybe 40, 50, 60, 80% of true love. And now you're having more challenges and you come back to me some more and you ask some more questions. And then you reflect on that, and then you practice that. And over time, you will learn how to practice true love more and more until it's effortless for you. And your relationships are so fulfilling that there's no animosity, there's no bitterness, there's no hostility in your relationships at all. You can conduct your relationships with ease. And this is where you will know that when all your relationships don't have discontentedness in them that you're practicing true love because as long as you have discontentedness in a relationship no matter what type of relationship there's some craving desire attachment that you're having there and you just need to identify your lack of wisdom and get the wisdom that you need from reaching out for help. And then once you learn that wisdom and you put it into practice, this is where you'll see the improvement. So feel free to reach out. You're not bothering me. This is what I do is I help people. If I'm not helping you, I'm gonna be helping somebody else. So reach out as you need help because you're gonna to need to take this intellectual learning, this reflection and this practice and continue to do that until your mind fully cultivates the wisdom of how to practice true love and you're doing that on a consistent, ongoing basis. Next week, we're gonna be in chapter 16, which is titled Dissolving the Ego. Ego serves no purpose. This is gonna help you to understand two fetters, personal existence view and conceit. We're gonna dive into those in detail, describing what those pollutions of mine are and then i'm going to be giving you the solutions and how to uproot them and get them out of the mind because as long as you have ego in the mind you're going to find it challenging to practice things like true love and practice things like right speech and right action and other things like that so you're going to need to learn what these two fetters are and then how to eliminate them from the mind so this is chapter 16 that we're going to talk about next week and again if you read that chapter before class or after class you're going to get so much more benefit because the level of detail that's in the book is far and beyond what i could ever really cover in one particular class but there are certain things in the class that i cover that aren't in the book so the combination between the two you're going to be able to learn readily and build up your wisdom around these topics And then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation. So you're welcome to join, to encourage, support, and motivate each other to do loving-kindness meditation because that's how you ultimately cultivate this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. You need to knock down your cravings, desires, attachments in order to practice true love, but you also need to arise loving kindness in the mind that mental quality that we talked about last week and it's loving kindness meditation that's going to be able to help you do that so if you haven't learned loving kindness meditation with me yet and you're not practicing that on a regular basis you're going to need to build that up in order to cultivate this true love and be able to practice it with yourself and other beings around you so be sure that's something that you take a look at and you are more than welcome to join for the class And there's even recordings on YouTube and the podcast where I've taught those things as well. So I'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast,
0: visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com.